Good morning. Welcome to Ealing Christian Center. I'm Shane. I'm the associate pastor in this church. And um, a few years ago, you know, when I was still working in the building industry, I was working on the construction site at Moko Lane, uh, which is in Greenhide. Let me show you the satellite map of my site. You see, Moko Lane, this yellow spot is the only access to Moko Lane. The red section is a bridge. I was building in a green box, so you go all the way to the top of Moko Lane and then turn right. Here is the problem. If you are first time there, you stand on the yellow spot, all you can see is a dead-end street on the other side of the bridge. You cannot see the driveway turning right. So one in one afternoon, I was not on site, and um, a delivery truck driver called me, and he asked, hey, are you Shane? I'm at Moko Lane, and I don't know where you are. I cannot find it. I said, oh, sorry, mate, I understand what you say. I'm not on site, but you just drive your truck over the bridge, and then you will find a driveway on your right-hand side. And then he said, no way. <laughs> this guy didn't believe me. He said, listen, I cannot see the driveway. It's a dead-end street, okay? I'm not going to drive my truck all the way in and then reverse it all the way out. To be honest, my mind was in blank for a moment because I didn't expect that reaction. What made this guy think that I would lie to him? What's the point? I want the materials in his truck more than anyone else in the country. So why would I like to lie to him and show him the wrong way and make trouble for myself? What's the motive for me to lie? So I said, hey, hey, trust me. Trust me, because I am from the other side of the bridge. Okay, I know what's going on over there. I guarantee you will find the driveway. I believe many of us here today, we all have been through circumstances where life seems like a dead-end street. We cannot find a way out. Especially in the pandemic, life doesn't go the way we expected. We all need someone who is from the other side of the bridge to show us the way. Today, as we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let's journey with his disciples in the first century to discover the ultimate hope of life. Let me give you the context of Jewish belief in the first century. The Jewish people expected the Messiah to be a military and political leader who would overthrow Roman rulers. They expected the Messiah to establish their kingdom by overcoming, over, uh, conquering their enemies. 
the Messiah can never be killed by the enemy. When Jesus was crucified, everybody knew, well, this man was just another wannabe Messiah executed by Rome. This movement is dead. Nothing left but fear, despair, and sorrow among his disciples because when Jesus died, their hope died and nobody expected the resurrection. Everybody was thinking about how to stay away from this trouble. However, when they thought their life reached a dead-end street, something out of expectation happened. John was the youngest disciple of Jesus. He witnessed and documented everything happened on the most unusual day of his life. Let's go to John 20, verse 1 to 8. Early on the first day of the week, while there was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This is John himself, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. You see, nobody expected his resurrection. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there. It was used to wrap Jesus' body, but did not go in because they were still in a Jewish festival called Passover. John had to keep himself ceremonial clean. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Yes, that's Peter's personality. He doesn't care. He's a reckless man. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. You might have heard people argue that, hey, those disciples, they just moved the body of Jesus and made up the whole story of resurrection. That is a very reasonable doubt. As Christians, we must face it and give people a reasonable explanation. Now, let me give you the top three reasons that convince me that those disciples would never make up the story. Reason number one, they didn't have the motive to suffer for a lie. Most of the disciples were, all of the disciples were persecuted and most of them died for claiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Why were they willing to bear such extreme suffering for something they knew to be false? It doesn't make sense. Why? They want to lie and get into a bigger trouble. People are tempted to lie for personal gain or keep themselves away from trouble when things go wrong. When you uh, read the Gospels, you will find out that those disciples, they were not heroic type of people from Greek mythology. They were timid. When Jesus was crucified, they ran away and hid because they knew they were in trouble. They scared to death and they want no more trouble. Reason number two, they didn't have the creativity to invent this idea. Most Jewish people do not accept the idea of a Messiah who dies and then is resurrected. Resurrection and the Messiah, those two things just don't relate to each other in their belief. My favorite Christian apologist, Dr. William Lane Craig says, if your favorite Messiah got himself crucified, then you either went home or else you got yourself a new Messiah. But the idea, but the idea of stealing Jesus' corpse and saying that God has raised him from the dead is hardly one that would have entered the minds of the disciples. This idea of a resurrected Messiah is hardly one that would have entered the minds of these disciples. I have been living in New Zealand for 20 years. I had never heard of cheesecake in China before I came here. <laughs> I knew cheese. I knew cake. I just didn't know they got married in New Zealand. <laughs> now cheesecake is so common in China. But it doesn't matter how common it is now. No one in Chinese history will ever come up with an idea. Hey, let's put cheese and cake together <laughs> because everybody is going to love it. No way! <clears throat> Excuse me. We can make 1,000 types of dumplings, but not one single piece of cheesecake will have come from China originally. Likewise, after 2,000 years of claiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ, no matter whether you believe it or not, it has become a common knowledge to most of us. But the original idea of a resurrected Messiah was just so irrelevant to the first century Jewish mind. Reason number three. Those disciples, they didn't have the popularity to draw a large crowd. Politicians, religious leaders, or celebrities, 
They can say something untrue, whether intentionally or not. Many people will still listen, believe, and follow because they are influential. They can use their popularity to mislead people if they want. Today, when we see those disciples, wow, they are like the superstars in the history of Christianity. We pay attention to everything they said in the Bible. We name our children after them. For Chinese immigrants, we name ourselves after them. <laughs> But that was not the case in the first century. It was so wrong for us to see those disciples from the things of our context. In Jesus' time, they were nobody. They were shameful in the eyes of others because they were the followers of a false, a false Messiah who just got crucified. If you believe Christianity became a phenomenal movement based on a story made up by those disciples, you are overestimating their popularity and personal charisma. Now, if those disciples didn't lie, let's take a moment to think about this question. How did those timid, unpopular, ordinary followers of Jesus become the greatest leaders of the most influential movement in human history? What happened to them? It must be something extraordinary happened to transform them into extraordinary people. Let's go to John 20, verses 19 to 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, same day, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, you see, that was their true human nature. Jesus came and stood among them. Hey, just imagine, you saw someone was buried three days ago. Now, this person is sitting on your couch on the evening. And then Jesus says, peace be with you. Oh yeah, what a peaceful night, Jesus. <laughs> After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. I am not a ghost, I am risen. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. If Jesus did rise from the dead and never die again, that is a big deal. That is a big deal, not just for those disciples, but also for all of us here today. Let me ask you, how do you respond to this extraordinary event? 
If you asked me the same question, my answer would be, first of all, believe Jesus. Just believe Jesus. Because resurrection means this man was telling the truth. We better take what he said seriously. Not just what he said about his resurrection, but everything he said. A great Christian author and thinker, C.S. Lewis, he says in his book, Mere Christianity, his most amazing promise has come true. So how can we not depend on and live by all the rest of his promises? Let me say again. His most amazing promise has come true, so how can we not depend on and live by all the rest of his promises? All his promises for you are true. All his prophecies for the future will come true because he is risen. Jesus is the only one in human history who comes from the other side of the bridge to show us the way of life. My second response is expect more. Expect more for your life. But when I say expect more, I'm not saying, hey, I have a house. Now I'm going to have two. Now this kind of expect more. I am saying, don't just expect what you want from God, but expect what God has for you. God didn't give the disciples a Messiah they wanted, but God gave them more than what they expected. Sometimes people ask me, Shane, you have spent nearly half of your life in New Zealand. How do you feel about your identity now? I say, half and half. <laughs> half cheesecake, half dumpling. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to taste it. I was confused about my identity. But I found the answer to my life in the letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was an ancient Greek city. It was the second largest city in Roman Empire. It was once considered the most important trading and travel center in the Mediterranean region. All kinds of people from different places mingled with each other in the city. It sounds like today's Auckland in New Zealand. Yeah. In Paul's letter to those people, he says, Ephesians 2, verses 18 to 19. For through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also 
members of his household. When God led me to this church, Elam Christian Center, for the first time in my life, I felt I'm no longer a foreigner or a stranger. My identity is not defined by my language, my culture, my passport. My identity is defined by what I believe and to whom I belong. I am a citizen of his kingdom. That is my true identity, and that is your true identity. Backgrounds, experience, professions, cultures, those things don't define who you are. Those things are means God has equipped us to accomplish our missions on earth for his kingdom. Our worship team, please come up. God has given your life a specific design for a specific mission. Please listen to me. This is very important. The disciples in the first century, they were called by Jesus to reach all kinds of people in the world break down cultural barriers and help them find their true identities in the kingdom. Today, when I look at our church, when I look at you, I realized we are called by God to carry out the exact the same mission in the 21st century in this city. Some people might say, oh, shame. Nobody is able to reach all kinds of people. I know. Nobody is able to reach all kinds of people. But when God put all kinds of people together to form one body of Christ, we as one church are going to make it because we are the people who don't just expect what we want from God. We are the people expect what God has for us. Jesus came to the world on the mission. He's on the mission. He was on the mission to save humanity from sin and death. His resurrection means mission accomplished. John concluded after being with Jesus for three years, he says, God so loved the world. He gave us his only son that whoever believed in him would never perish but have eternal life. That was Jesus' invitation to his disciples 2,000 years ago. That is our Heavenly Father's invitation to all of us this Easter Sunday. 
So friends, if you decided to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord today, to make the most unusual day in human history personal to you, I am going to leading you to do a prayer. All you need to do is pray after me in your heart. Are you ready? Let's do it. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for paying all the penalty of my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. Today, I repent. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. I believe you died for me and resurrected from the dead. I will be following you forever. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, if you just did that prayer, congratulations. Your life will never be the same again. The next step you need to do is grab the connect card at the back of the seat in front of you. Put down your name and contact details and tick the box, I commit my life to Jesus Christ. The reason you need to do that is we want to walk with you on this journey. We don't want you to walk alone. God bless you.